the new series that I have been preparing is not going to start until after the period of national mourning is over. So for this Sunday morning and next Sunday morning, uh, we're going to have uh, special messages uh, because of the death of our sovereign. Whatever political views we may hold, uh, she uh, transcended that. And as was read from Timothy, uh, we are, uh, as God's people, uh, to uh, pray for those that he's put in authority over us and to remember them. And this is a critical time in our nation's history. Most of us will not, not have remembered any other head of states. And so it is right that uh, we pause uh, from our normal uh, Sunday morning messages. This evening, uh, I will be restarting again in Thessalonians. Uh, so we will continue looking at that. And God's word is going to be relevant wherever you are uh, to our situation. And then as Alistair announced, on Wednesday, it will be a special prayer meeting uh, for our nation as well as ourselves as a church. When Andy texted me after the Queen's death uh, to say, what are you going to do on Sunday? I'm being led to Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. I immediately texted back with the words, that's weird, so am I. And I'm sure a number of congregations will be considering this morning these words, Isaiah 6, the first verse, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. Isaiah was devastated after the death of a king that had a very long, over 50 years of reigning and prosperous reign, although toward the end of his life, Uzziah uh, was under a cloud. He died of leprosy. And Israel, or Judah, the southern parts of Israel, was facing a critical period in her history. No longer was she going to enjoy the peace and the stability and the prosperity that had uh, characterized Uzziah's reign. There was going to be great change. And I'm sure we are apprehensive of the future, not just because our queen was one constant uh, through all the changes of the last few decades, but because of the situation we're in, uh, the financial crisis, the uh, geopolitical scene uh, with the war in Ukraine, uh, North Korea uh, announcing herself as a nuclear power. It does look pretty depressing, doesn't it? 
And there is, I think, uh, this uh, sense uh, that we are going to face dark and uncertain times. Winter is coming. Winter is coming. And I don't know what your personal view would have been of the Queen, but I'm sure all of us this morning are saddened and shocked uh, by the passing of one uh, who was so beloved. So like Isaiah, we are coming not to the temple, but to a church. And my friends, this is my message this morning. What happened to Isaiah was even though he was coming into the temple with a heavy heart uh, because of the passing of a king that had reigned for a long time, something happened to him in the temple. And he left saying, here am I, send me. And he was being sent to a really difficult situation as we heard in the end of the chapter Uh, God said, tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. What had happened to Isaiah? This uh, experience occurred at the start of his prophetic ministry. Isaiah had a vision, not of Uzziah. Uzziah was gone. He had a vision of the king of kings. My friends, our queen is no longer on the throne. We've got a king now, and we don't know how long Charles will reign for. But one day he will die, and William will succeed him. But there's another throne, there's a higher throne, and that throne isn't vacant. The king of kings is still reigning. And I know we uh, had Queen Elizabeth for a very long time, even longer than King Uzziah reigned. But Jesus Christ has been on the throne. The Son of God has been on the throne from eternity. But Jesus Christ, the man, has been on his throne for over 2,000 years. And he's not going to die. And what we need, whether you believe in Jesus Christ or not, what we all need this morning is to know Jesus Christ, to come and believe in him. And if you do believe in him, don't we need a new vision of Jesus Christ? Hasn't the church at large lost her vision? We need, don't we, uh, to see Jesus Christ, maybe as we saw him when we first believed in him. I never met the queen. I saw her twice. The first time was during Trooping the Colour. I was standing uh, on uh, the edge of the Mall, and I could see the Queen and other members of the royal family waving and smiling at us. The second time, she was only about that far from me. I was in traffic driving down Park Lane, and the traffic was uh, cleared from uh, the lane next to me and the motorcade of the Queen passed by. So I can say I've stood that distance or sat that distance from the Queen. But I never knew her. I don't know if anybody here would 
have met her. I know Andy went to a garden party in Buckingham Palace. But none of us could say that we knew her. And it's a bit like that with Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. We can know about God. We can even know our Bibles inside out. I trust that many of you attending this church will have really good Bible knowledge, but that doesn't make you a Christian. It's not knowing about Jesus Christ that saves us, but knowing him. This is life eternal, that I might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus, whom thou hast sent. And what Isaiah has here is an experience of the triune God. In John's Gospel, John tells us that it was the Son of God, Jesus, that Isaiah saw here. So this is definitely God the Father. God is a trinity, three persons, one God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you've got the Father here, the Father of lights, in whom there is neither variableness nor shadow of turning. The Queen, who was so constant, is no longer with us. But the Father has remained the same. It's Jesus that Isaiah sees here as well. Jesus Christ, the same Yesterday, today, and forever. And in the book of Acts, towards the end of Acts, it's the Holy Spirit, we are told, that Isaiah heard speaking here. So this is the triune God. Uh, this, this is Isaiah. We can imagine him, can't we? Coming into the temple, feeling depressed because of the situation uh, that he's in. Maybe like many of us here this morning. And then we don't know how it happened, but I saw whether it was sudden or gradual, we don't know. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. Uzziah sat on a throne. But this throne is above every earthly throne. It's a high and lifted up throne. And then Isaiah doesn't see the person on the throne. If he would have seen the face of God, he would have been destroyed. Because God is holy and we are not holy. But what he sees are the seraphims, these angelic beings. And they had six wings, each of them. And they had to use two wings to cover their faces because they couldn't look at the face of God and live. And these beings were pure beings. And then, this is what I'm interested in at this point, they cried to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. It's emphasized three times, not just for emphasis sake, but holy is God the Father, holy is God the Son, holy is God the Holy Spirit. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke. So Isaiah here, he's a prophet, he is a man who would have been steeped in scripture. He's probably had other experiences of God. But he is completely overwhelmed by what he experiences here. And he only sees the train of the robe of the Lord. He only sees the bottom parts. C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia has Aslan as a picture, the lion Aslan, as a picture of Jesus Christ. And we're told, aren't we, 
He's no tame lion. He's no tame lion. Jesus Christ isn't tame. There's something awesome about coming into the presence of God. That there is something, well, how can I put it? We can't rush, can we, into his holy presence. Jesus Christ is on the throne this morning. Jesus Christ is overruling. Jesus Christ is upholding every one of us. Jesus Christ is giving us breath. Every breath you take is given by God. It's an awesome thing to meet in his name and worship him. But this is what I want to concentrate on. Isaiah is profoundly affected by this experience. What happens to a person when they meet God in Jesus Christ? The first effect is he's completely humbled. Completely humbled. Look, look at what he says. His first response is, Woe is me. Now, we use that phrase, don't we, as uh, uh, something uh, of derision. Uh, uh, we may say, oh, uh, a certain person who is uh, melancholic, he's always bemoaning himself, saying, woe is me. But when Isaiah is using the phrase here, he actually means, I'm done for. Uh, the word undone is in our Bible translation. But what it means is, it's all over for me. It, it really is all over. I don't know if you're familiar with the previous chapter of Isaiah. In chapter 5, he says woe. He says woe to the people around him. He says woe to those who are guilty of bad behavior. And some of the behaviors that I mentioned are very contemporary. So in chapter 5, Isaiah has been pronouncing six woes to those around him. In a sense, he is led of God to point the finger at the sins of people around him. Six in the Bible is an imperfect number. What makes the woe complete? In this chapter, the seventh woe is not woe to them, but woe is me. Isn't that our problem, brothers and sisters, this morning? We're very good at woe are those that are outside the church. Woe are those who are guilty of sins that we don't seem uh, to be troubled with. But how many of us have said, woe is me, woe is me. When you point the finger at others, there's three fingers pointing back at you. And in case you say, well, Pastor Isaiah was in the Old Testament. Uh, wasn't God in the Old Testament a God of uh, wrath? Surely when you come to Jesus Christ in the New Testament, it's not going to be the same. Hang on. You remember one of the first disciples, Simon Peter? Simon Peter, he, he wasn't a uh, uh, shrinking violet, was he? Simon P Peter was a hardened fisherman. Simon Peter was always first. He was always putting his foot in it. 
And what was Simon Peter's response when he first saw Jesus Christ performing a miracle? Do you know what Simon Peter said? Woe is me. He didn't quite use those words, but he said to Jesus, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinner. I'm an unclean man. Let let me mention another man from the New Testament. Uh, We might think of ourselves here this morning as moral and religious, and there's nothing wrong with that in its place. But let me tell you about a man who was really moral and really religious. He would have been miles ahead of us when it came uh, to progress in those things. He was called Saul, Saul of Tarsus, and he was blameless in keeping God's commandments outwardly. He was meticulous in his religiosity. There wouldn't have been a meeting that he would have missed. He would have always read his Bible. He would have always said his prayers. And then something happened to Paul. What happened to him? Oh, he thought that these new people called Christians, uh, that they needed to be persecuted and that he was doing God's service in going after them. And he was going to Damascus and he was probably full of himself, thinking that he was really going to honor God, killing those horrible Christians. And then he met Jesus Christ, didn't he? Outside the gates of Damascus, he was blinded by a flashing light. And it wasn't the glare of the light that made him fall to the ground. It was the glare of God's pure holiness. And Saul of Tarsus saw that all of his morality, all of his religiosity, was just excrements, dung in comparison. He met with Jesus Christ. Woe is me. When there was a revival in this country last on the Isle of Lewis in the middle of the 20th century, people were just convicted of their uncleanness. They were just so aware. And these weren't the people outside the church. These were the people in the church. Do you really want to meet with Jesus Christ? Look at how Isaiah puts it. I'm a man of unclean lips. Interesting, he says lips. Lips is what a holy God used in the prophets to declare his word. What Isaiah is saying is, if my lips are unclean, there's no hope for the rest of me. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I'm not going to dwell on this humbling, but it's important that we go down. We want to go down, my friends. If you want to be raised up this morning by the forgiveness of sins in the gospel, you need to go down first. Oh, don't we want to have stability in these uncertain times? To have stability in knowing Jesus Christ. Well, if you want to be really stable, you need to go down first. A tree that is stable has deep roots. A skyscraper has a foundation that goes down into the bedrock. Now, the word undone, the word undone, it's interesting. In the original, in the Hebrew, it means I'm as one dead. I'm finished. That's what Isaiah is saying. Now, I mentioned Saul of Tarsus, and 
Saul, who became Paul after he believed in Jesus Christ, he puts it like this. Uh, he says, I was alive once without the law. He thought he was a good person. He was moral. He was religious. I was alive. But then, when the commandments came, sin taking opportunity caused me to die. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandments came, sin revived and I died. I became undone. Have we died? Have we died? Before I became a Christian, I thought I was all right. I would have admitted not being perfect. Who is perfect? Not even our queen was perfect. But I would have still said I was all right. I was all right. And I hoped in the end to be able to go to heaven. But the moment I met with Jesus Christ by his Spirit, the first thing that happened was I knew I wasn't all right. Even before I came to believe in him, I knew it was all over. I was dead. No hope. There's a saying, isn't there? Where there's life, there's hope. <laughs> well, there was no life. Dead in trespasses and sins. It doesn't matter if a person is an out-and-out -out sinner, as we say, or whether a person is brought up in church. You're dead by nature. As dead as a dodo. No hope. No hope. And then another meaning to undone is... I'm silenced. I'm silenced. Uh, Paul wrote a very famous letter, uh, the letter to the Romans, uh, where he gives one of the greatest statements of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he dealt with people like people in Isaiah's day, like people in our day, who thought they were all right. And Paul says it's not all right. Are we better than they? Not at all. There is none righteous. No, not one. And he goes on to say this. He says, whatsoever things the Lord of God says, it says to those who are under the law, that's us, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. It's not all right. It's over. No hope. Have you been silenced? Have I been silenced? That's our problem often. We haven't been silenced. Isn't that the root of church problems? We haven't been silenced. We, we've all got our views on all sorts of things. When a person comes into the presence of God, he's been silenced. He puts his mouth over his mouth. I'm undone. I'm undone. What a revolution would happen if we all were humbled like Isaiah was. It's not the degree I'm thinking of here now. Some people are so convicted that, that they're in agony, sometimes for months. Other people, they just know, they just know in their hearts that it's over. They're not right with God, that they are spiritually unclean. But they're not in agony about it. But they just know. Isaiah is humbled. We need to be humbled. 
But then, <laughs> this is what I'm coming to. Uh, fear not. I don't want to leave us down on the floor. I want us to be raised up. I heard uh, one person being interviewed. Uh, they had met the Queen. And they said of the Queen, when you went to see her, uh, she was the kind of person that made you feel better after meeting her. There are people like that, aren't there? You have a problem and you are feeling completely downcast and you go and see this person. And it may not be what the person says. It may be just the demeanor of the person, the kindness of the person, the fact that they're listening to you as if you're the only person that they're interested in. And you leave feeling so much better. My friends, I want every one of us to be humbled this morning in the presence of God. Stop comparing yourself to people around you. Stop comparing yourself to other Christians. Stand before God and see yourselves in his lights and you will say, woe is me. But then I want us to be lifted up. So I am imagining here, I don't know if this was the case, I'm imagining Isaiah on the ground of the temple completely bemoaning his condition. It's over. And then something happens. Something happens. What happens? One of the seraphims, one of the angelic beings, flies. He takes a piece of live coal from the altar. He uses tongs because it's hot. And he flies towards the prophet. And he touches his lips with the piece of live coal. And he says something. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. And then God says something. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah pipes up. Here am I. Send me. He's excited now to serve God. Uh, think of the excitements that we could have in taking the gospel to this community. My friends, what gives excitement is having an experience of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. At one moment, Isaiah is saying, it's all over, it's finished for me. The next, he's saying, Lord, here am I. I'm ready now to serve you, whatever the situation may be. What's made the difference? Very quickly, what raises us up? Well, the first thing, before he feels the piece of live coal, he's in the temple. What's in the temple? Well, there are many things in the temple, but one thing in particular is the altar from which the piece of live coal is taken from. Now, we don't have an altar in this church. That is a communion table. It's a plain wooden table. It's not an altar. What was on the altar? Well, what happened on the altar was sacrifices were made. What's the significance of that? The significance of that is this. God in the Old Testament was teaching his people that even though he's holy, that a holy God can forgive sin, even forgive the worst of sinners through a sacrifice. So if you would have been alive in the Old Testament and if you would have been around in... Uh, Isaiah's time then the altar would have been a bloody place there would have been lambs and bullocks sacrificed every day on the altar and God was as it were uh, teaching powerfully 
that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. Now, I've said, we haven't got an altar in our church. Well, how can I be forgiven then? Well, my friend, the, the lamb and the bullock, the blood of the animals wasn't going to cleanse anybody from their sin. All those animals was pointing to something that was going to come, and that was Jesus Christ. John the Baptist pointed to him, the forerunner, John the Baptist, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We've got an altar in our church. It's not the communion table. It's what the communion is remembering. We've got an altar that uh, is... Uh, as it were, at the crux of history. That altar is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the symbol of Christianity. On that cross, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Who was Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This person that Isaiah is seeing, the second person of the Trinity, 2,000 years ago, he became one of us, and he became a man not so much in order to set an example for us, but in order to live in our place and, more important, to die in our stead. And on that cross, the sacrifice was Jesus Christ. And on that cross, blood was shed. And it wasn't animal blood, it was human blood. And it wasn't just any human blood. It was the blood of the Son of God, the blood of the perfect, perfect sacrifice. There is forgiveness of sins. In his blood. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. There is power in the blood. Wonder-working power. Have you come here this morning with a burden? Not just a burden for the states of the nation, but with a burden of sin. Transfer that burden to the burden bearer, Jesus Christ, and know the power, the wonder-working power in his blood. So that's the first thing. Isaiah realizes that a holy God can forgive his sin because of the sacrifice. And I want to tell you this morning, I want this church, as it were, to shout from the housetops, that even though God is holy and can't allow anybody into heaven that isn't holy, there is a way, there is a saviour, there is a death. And you can't make yourself right with God. I can't do it for you. I'm not a priest. Jesus Christ is the only way. Jesus Christ alone saves. The queen realized that and believed in him. Listen to some of her Christmas messages. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Didn't Isaiah write a few years later, all we like sheep have gone astray? We, woe, me but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all and then very quickly he feels doesn't he this forgiveness because as the piece of live coal touches his lips and the statement is made your sin your iniquity is taken away and is washed he feels it 
Have you ever had a piece of live coal touch your lips? Well, I've touched, you know, when your parents say to you, don't touch, don't, don't, don't touch the fire. Well, you do, don't you? You've got to. Well, it hurts, doesn't it, when you touch with your finger something that's hot. But the lips are even more sensitive. I wouldn't like a piece of live coal touching my lips. It's bad enough when you've got a, a black coffee that's boiling. So what I'm trying to say is this. Not only did Isaiah realize that there was a way to be forgiven, that there was a hope. There is a hope, my friends, in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what the future holds. If you have believed in him, if your salvation is in him, then you have a hope. You have a hope for this world. You have a hope for eternity. Even if you don't feel anything, isn't it wonderful to have a living hope? That's not based on feelings. My faith has found a resting place, not in a form or a creed even, but in a living one. A living one who lived and died for me. Jesus Christ is constant to save. The blood of Jesus Christ will never lose its power the mountains and the hills will be removed. I got up some mountains during the summer. And that outline that you can see in the Brecon Beacons. Have you seen it? Corndy, Penavan, Cribbin. That skyline which has been there for aeons will one day be no more. The mountains and the hills shall be removed. But not the covenant of my peace. What a constancy. What a constancy. I can't remember the background, but somebody was living in a house as a tenant, and there was an old gentleman who owned the house, and every morning he would come down with a beaming face. And people would ask him, what's the news this morning? What's the news this morning? And he would just take his tuning fork and... He would uh, hit it, as you do with tuning forks, and the note would be sounded, and he would say, that's a middle C. That was a middle C yesterday. It's a middle C today. It's going to be a middle C tomorrow. It's going to be a middle C for all eternity. My friends, what are we as a church? We're a gospel church. We're sounding out the notes, the notes of glad release through Jesus' death on Calvary. And that note was the same 2,000 years ago. It was the same in 1953 when our queen got to the throne. It's the same today and it will be the same forever. Praise God. There's a hope. But then Isaiah feels this. The live coal would have been felt. And I think this is where we, as Christian people, are in great need there was a great preacher evangelist in the 18th century in this country called George Whitfield. He was an Anglican. He was in the state church. He never came out of Anglicanism. 
he was brought up in Gloucester. You can see uh, the Bell Inn where he was brought up today. It was said of Whitfield that not only did he preach Christ, this wonderful hope, but he preached a felt Christ. This is what our church needs, not just to hear this wonderful news, but to feel the power of the blood. To know the spirits, the third person of the Trinity, applying these wonderful truths in such a way to us. I know we are born of the spirits. If you're not a believer here this morning and it's all over for you, you're dead spiritually, I'm not writing you off because the Holy Spirit will make you alive. What you do is believe in the Word, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's already a sign that the Spirit has made you born of God. How do you know if there's life? There's a baby there, Seth. Is it Seth? How do you know if Seth is alive? Well, he cries, and especially at night. <laughs> How do I know if I'm born of the Spirit? I cry. What's the cry of the Christian prayer? What's the first prayer? God be merciful to me. God be merciful to me. Have you prayed? God be merciful to me. And then those of us who are Christians, we need to feel again, don't we? We need a new vision of Jesus. I'm more than ever convinced of this. Well, time is up. Isaiah, as a result of this meeting with Jesus Christ, is ready for anything. Uh, most of the New Testament quotes this chapter, not the first half, but the second half, which is very difficult, isn't it? <laughs> Make the hearts of this people dull, and their ears heavy. Isaiah, how are you going to manage? If people are not going to respond, it doesn't matter, Isaiah says. God has called me, and he's called me with his message, not my message. I'm sounding that note of the gospel. And whether people respond or not is not my responsibility. My responsibility is to sound the notes. Myself and Andy, we are your pastors. We are not here to make any of you Christians. We can't do that. It takes a miracle, and we're not miracle workers. But we're here to sound the notes. Paul said, and Paul was mightily saved, and Paul preached this gospel, sounded the notes all over the then civilized world. And he said, We're an aroma of Christ. You know, when you meet some people, they leave their mark on you, don't they? Maybe it is an aroma of some sense or perfume. You're never the same again. And it's like that with the person who's had an encounter with Jesus. There is an aroma. And Paul says we're an aroma of Christ. To some, an aroma of life. But to others, an aroma of death. I'm longing that all of us here will respond as Isaiah did. Woe is me. Praise be to God, he doesn't leave us there. He's provided a saviour, and I can put my trust in him. 
and I want to know him, and I want to feel his love more and more so that I can have an influence in this city. So that people say of us at the Heath, my, don't those people love their saviour. <laughs> There's nothing special about us. We're just sinners like everybody else. But we are saved sinners. All because of his grace. Here am I. Send me. Our queen is no longer with us. God saved her. May we pray for our new king and may God save but the King of Kings is there still and we serve him and it's a pleasure as well as a privilege. And if there's anybody here this morning who is still outside of the kingdom, come, come as you are, come, confess your sins. We haven't got masks here. We haven't got religious veneer. We, we're normal Talk to us. We're, we're just weak, fallen. But we've met somebody. <laughs> and he's saved us and he can save you. And he doesn't just leave us there. He's been with us ever since. And he's going to be with us and he can be with you. So that when you die, you can go and be with him forever and ever for his name's sake i saw a new vision of jesus and our god is the end of the journey and there in heaven the children of mercy which we all are will praise him for calvary's pain what happened on that altar of the cross number 812 <clears throat>
This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. And now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>